You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to your favorite day of the week. I'm Anthony Irwin. I am joined by two guys whose names I have butchered uh, for the last ninety <laughs> percent of the podcast that I have that I have appeared with them. Adam Modest, who is the usual co-host, and Sam Amick, who was kind enough to just let me roll with with how it went. But Sam, first off, and for, first and foremost, thank you very much for hopping on uh, as we get ready for probably one of your busiest times of the year, right? It is busy for sure, and and listen, Anthony Irwin, I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, no, I mean it's the answer to your question is yes. Uh, it's funny, and this is kind of exciting and different from a professional standpoint. You know, since I changed platforms a couple months ago, going from USA Today to the Athletic, I'm curious to see like it's going to be a different version of busy at the trade deadline. It's not necessarily, you know, at at my old job, it was a little more straight ahead where because it was a mainstream media platform where you had two NBA writers, myself and Jeff Zilgit, you know, you, you kind of, you always had to confirm the big news independently. You always had to stay on top of as many things as possible, even if, you know, you weren't breaking it or you weren't, you know, you just kind of had to make sure that you had your reporting on, on your USA Today stories. This is a different type of challenge where, you know, we have Shams obviously is great on the news, does a fantastic job, you know, Shams Sharania and and I've certainly, you know, been covering the league a long time, have a lot of contacts. But the storytelling has become a bigger part of kind of what I try to do. So in that vein, you know, it, it'll be a busy time and, and hopefully I'm able to pull a few stories out and then tell a few tales. What's cool is that you utilize that flexibility, I guess, with with being able to cover this trade deadline a little differently. You put out maybe one of my favorite articles that I've I've read in a, quite a while, and and I thought you were speaking to me specifically with your lead. I'll quote. <laughs> <laughs> I'll quote. Everybody's a trade deadline expert these days. Combine the nearest armchair general manager with the ESPN trade machine and the social media platform of your preference, and you get an NBA world in which almost anyone can fix. Their favorite team's roster by the 3 p.m. Eastern time, February 7th uh, finish line that looms so large, right? And I just thought to myself, like, man. That he is, is talking about you. That's, that's, definitely, that's, that's definitely, me. You've definitely made a lot of trades. Uh, text to me that, that were absolutely absurd. So Shots uh, fired, right? Shots fired. <laughs> But no. I, I mean that—that's it. But and I'm no different. I mean, the, the, first of all, the ESPN trade machine remains just one of the great novelties yeah. of the internet. Uh, it, it still boggles my mind how it works, how the magic happens. Mm-hmm. You know, you hit a button, try this trade, and it, and it's it's almost like a game show. It's just like yes or no, and it's so exciting, and you get to see if if you could do the job yourself. But obviously, as I try to get into. It's just a lot more complicated than that, whether it's the legalities, the medical stuff, the relationship stuff, the competing agendas, all of the above. You know, it's a, a very complicated time. One of the things I really liked about this, uh, about the article, you talk about how there's a lot of dynamics people don't think of in play. And one of those is just the personalities of the front office. And every front office has a different personality and some guys i at least what i what i take away from this article is that some front offices maybe are a little bit more lighthearted and cordial and and willing to share lots of information and others aren't and these guys are talking to everybody every day and you almost have to put on a different hat for every phone call you make 
hundred percent. I mean, I've heard, you know, that was the fun part of doing the story, which was kind of, it was born out of, you know, we have this uh, trade deadline blitz as we call it at the athletic where all 30 beat writers are coming up with a, a team centric trade deadline type story to try to give fans a sense of what their team is doing. But the national guys were kind of charged with doing something different. And I thought it'd be fun to pull the curtain back, but uh, you know, admittedly when I first went into it, I was assuming I would have to do things from an anonymous standpoint, you know, to quote executives without attribution. Right. And, yeah. and, and to Mike Zarin's credit, you know, the assistant GM of the Celtics and Danny Ainge's right-hand man and extremely influential guy with their organization. Mike was the one who, when I hit him up where he's like, you know, I'd probably depending on what direction you take the conversation. He's like, I'd probably be willing to talk on the record. And, hmm. and that was kind of a monkey wrench because then it was like, well, I got kind of greedy. Like, well, all right, I got Mike, but geez, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to get anybody else. Uh, and then Travis was the next one and he was willing to, and then John was as well. Travis Schlank of the Hawks and, and John Hammond of the Orlando magic. So, but to your point, um, Adam, they like Zarin in particular talked about the front office personalities and, and he said it in a very politically correct kind of way, but you know, you can read his comments and kind of, you know, infer that, yeah, you got some people that you really, really like and you connect with. You get others who are trickier and who you don't trust as much on other teams. And you're going to be a little more closer to the vest because you don't trust that they're not going to turn around and tell another colleague exactly what you said about your team right away. Uh, and, and so that's kind of an instinct thing, a relationship thing that comes into play with these trades. I mean, maybe another follow-up story I should do is if you go back and analyze a lot of trades that are done there, you know, oftentimes you'll see a deal where I can look at it and say, Oh, interesting. You know, that guy's, I know for a fact, he's really friendly with that guy. So that's not a surprise. And and I think the human factor comes into play more than we realize. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. And we see that in Denver has done a handful of deals now with Portland in the Tim Conley era. And I think you see that a lot repeat, sort of trade partners um, because, again, as you mentioned, they have relationships. Another another thing I thought was interesting, they talked about phone calls and, and trade conversations kind of being like a constant thing. I, how frequently do you, in your experience, are front office members either making or receiving phone calls in which a trade is proposed or floated out there? Um, I would say, like, even the word proposed – I think the mistake that we probably make by even using that word is it's too formal. You know what I mean? Like it's because, you know, and you see this in real time. If you go to an NBA arena, if you want to like, I forget the name of you remember it was a long time ago. I'm kind of dating myself, but there used to be these pieces of art that became real popular for a while. where like, you you know, you had to stare at them for a, a long time to actually see the picture. Oh, the magic eye. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's a blast like, from the past there. Yeah. Right. Like a lot of NBA arenas have a magic eye effect where if you know who you're looking at and who works for which team and what the connections are, like you can see, you know, trade talk type things happening in real time at a game, but it's casual and it's, you know, huh. Okay. The guy from the Clippers is Chad with the guy from the wolves. And you know, you, you, you don't know what they're kind of breaking down, but, Chances are it's a, a thing about, hey, you know, I know I mentioned this thing to you three weeks ago about this player and that player. Would you guys think about that? It's really casual. And the relationships, you have a lot of, you know, extremely kind of long tenured executives in the league where the history becomes such between them 
that they can have this comfort level. Um, I mean, to your question, it's, I think it's happening, you know, a lot of times in NBA arenas, uh, a lot of times kicking mm-hmm. ideas around over the phone. And, uh, and then when ideas start kind of getting generated, the, you know, you kind of take it to the group, see if there's any momentum behind whatever you're trying to put together. And then maybe it becomes more of a proposal. I think most times it's, it's a casual conversation about just different ideas. And then, and then in Brian Colangelo's, Colangelo's case, he used to use those burner accounts and find out like what <laughs> what best way to go behind those scenes in, in that way. Uh, <laughs> it's funny that, that might be more popular than you think, though. <laughs> for sure, That's, Anthony. I know, like we're kidding, and it's funny. Just a, a quick little anecdote or tidbit that I think is safe enough to share. To to Zarin's credit, you know, he was real open, and and so you know, a little bit before I, I published the story. I was checking in with him to to kind of confirm a couple of different things, make sure I heard him correctly. And uh, he was like, he wanted to make sure, you know, the story that I shared about Brian Colangelo when he was heading the Raptors front office, when they had a, a three-way trade with Sacramento and Boston, where Brian at the deadline had asked a question about one of the trade specifics, uh, second rounder that was going to the Kings. And, and Brian bringing that up, almost blew the deal because the the league lawyer was on the phone. This was the official trade call. (laughs) Time is of the essence. You can't kind of, you can't cross T's and dot I's at that stage in the game. Brian just asked a question and it it did almost kind of blow it up. I mean, the funny part was, and you got a taste of like the, the professionalism that these guys try to have. Mike had kind of bent over backwards to say, Hey, make sure that it's very clear. Like Brian's question was reasonable. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, and, and it was, yeah. but, you know, it's these guys that they all got to share the same oxygen. And, and so they try to kind of do it as best they can. I, I really enjoyed the anecdote about uh, Zarin not wanting. I think it was Zarin. Let me make sure. I got, Yeah. The texting and how people would text him a trade and he'd immediately call. And, right. I think, yeah, and it's just it's, it's stuff like that, you know, where you have not just different personalities, but different g- there's generational gaps, culture, all, all this different stuff. And, and it's really fascinating to think we, we just think that it's a group of friends getting together to say, hey, we need this. You need that. But it seems like there's just a lot more uh, social and gamesmanship to it that 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 I think is really fascinating. Hey, hey yeah, Sam, I mean, before before we before we move on, we have to pay a couple of bills here. We'll come back and and yeah, and I yeah. want to build on that point because it is fascinating. You have people who were talking like Pat Riley making a deal with with Danny Ainge to me fascinates me. So we'll we'll, we'll get to the human element here in a second. This is the part that I think intrigues me the most, where you have people who have been in this industry working in, with NBA teams and NBA front offices for decades who are going up against, like especially right now where you have the Maury ball, the money ball aspect of things and people who are who are relatively newer to the industry. And, and, and how do these guys kind of make those, those, I guess, almost borderline cultural differences, how do they make those work in these trade conversations? I think it's hard. Um, you know, the, I think the story that, uh, you know, that, that we were kind of, that Adam was referencing a minute ago, and maybe another one of the ones that was similar was John Hammond, the, again, the magic GM, who is an older guy. John's been doing this a long time, been married 29 years. And the story he shared was that, you know, he'll be around his wife and another executive will text him and he'll pick the phone up and call him. And his wife will give him a hard time. Like, you know, they don't want to talk to you. They, they want a text <laughs> back from you. 
and you know, <laughs> him kind of left. And I know that firsthand. It's funny from a media standpoint. I've had that identical experience with John, where I would text him something, and I always enjoy talking to him. But you know how it is. <laughs> you're kind of lazy, and you're busy, and yeah, and and you're just like, hey, is there anything going on with this? And then the phone rings, and then it's a conversation. <laughs> you know, so you that, get a that's kind of private. Yeah, like it's a, <laughs> it's a charming part of the John Hammond personality. But um, I, I, you know, without well, actually, I think this is fair and safe. Like I was going to say, without naming names, I think that this element has changed. But when you hear about front offices and executives who are accused of not trying to be fair all the time and trying to be so competitive that you win a trade, earlier in Daryl Morey's career, I think that was a pretty frequent accusation. That you know he was kind of like this new kid on the block, the guy coming from the Ivy League, the guy you know that that obviously you know sparked Maury Ball and that the offshoot of baseball's Money Ball and and so that kind of you mentioned the generation call it a generational gap or just kind of the old school new school type clash you know that's been a thing at different times and you know I think even still there are executives now that that get frustrated because some other guys that that you know it's not necessarily the same type of camaraderie. And uh, and competitive, like the competitive spirit where it's healthy, where we know we're all trying to win a championship, but we also know that we're just trying to do the best we can. You know, those are, are challenging waters to navigate. And if you have tension, if you have awkwardness or uncomfortableness, then guess what? The next phone call probably doesn't happen. And that trade never happens, even mm-hmm. if on the ESPN trade machine, it made a ton of sense. Another thing that that popped out to me in, in in your story, it reminded me almost of like diplomats and foreign policy, uh, you know, liaisons. Where every time somebody goes to Russia, everything is it, it, it's uh, documented, and every little detail of that trip is documented. You talk about in here, every phone call that's made with a team is documented, and and. and what I wonder was, is it just, oh, this is what was discussed, or are our teams really like reading into every little cue? This is the word they used, and this is, you know, are, are they studying <laughs> it all me. for any kind of edge? <laughs> that would 100% be me. I think, yeah, I mean, that is probably a product of like whatever kind of inherent filter the person doing the reporting has, if that makes any sense. Like, I think it's just the takeaways that that you know, that, that executive, or I think this, this kind of stuff goes down to scouts. Uh, I mean, that's the other thing is these groups have gotten much, much larger when it comes to the way NBA teams function. And so I think it's essentially an understanding and there's, I think varying degrees of, of uh, how strict each team is within the entire league. Like I'm sure that, and I'm kind of just guessing here, but I'm going to guess that, you know, if you're Sam Presti in Oklahoma city, with Troy, you know, Troy Weaver is your right hand man. And, you know, and uh, guys that, that that talk to other teams, you, you better have every single detail in that database. I think, you know, that would be kind of the, the type of organization that I would expect to be extremely, uh, uh, you know, just I was going to say a politically incorrect way of doing it, but like very to a T, have every detail down. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just a way to not lose track of conversations because these are all opportunities, right? Like, it's just that idea that, you know, what if that scout for the Bucks, you know, had a good conversation with somebody at a game that had a fantastic idea, but then he was so busy and personal life got in the way and he forgot to mark it down and he got, and they got busy and he looks and they did that deal with somebody else. Like that's a blown mm-hmm. opportunity. And, right. and this is a way of, of kind of making a, you know, a systematic way of attacking this, uh, this situation. 
Do you feel like, do you get a sense yet that this trade deadline coming up will be a, a, an eventful one? And we already see Memphis is, is looking like they're willing to to try to be aggressive. Uh, Washington's another team who, who keeps throwing some, some things out. Do you feel like there'll be some big-time moves, or do you think it'll be more quiet? Um, we shall see. It's funny. i got to share this with you guys real quick. I just happened to hit the button on Skype and, and now officially have both of you in, 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 in front of me on the phone. So <laughs> nice to see you. <laughs> it got real personal. I'm, I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry in advance. Adam is no, not a looker. Good. <laughs> Although, you know, Anthony, that, that background uh, wallpaper you got going is pretty fantastic. <laughs> um, I mean, the the numbers around the league would tell you that it's going to be a relatively slow trade deadline. Now, that can I've, every time we handicap it, you know, we're wrong and something happens. But it really does seem unique from the standpoint of so many teams being in playoff contention. And so many teams that they continue to have hope and, and hope essentially means that you're going to want to be a buyer. And the problem with that is if you only have, you know, again, even like Shams wrote a story today at our place about how by his count, there are six sellers. That's not enough sellers to stop yeah. the buyers. Um, and so those sellers have got to be feeling pretty good about the market and feeling pretty good about, you know, the teams like the, the teams like the Hawks. And that, that was the funny part of the story I wrote was because I was asking these executives to open up, I didn't want to be greedy and then, you know, dive in all the way and find out what was actually happening with all their pieces. But talking to Travis Schlank about, you know, his team, like they've got a lot of action. They got a lot of possibilities. And so, um, but not a lot of sellers, uh, tons of buyers. And I think that probably means it'll be relatively slow. What's funny is that they, the NBA moved their trade deadline up, and generally speaking, I think it was a player-friendly move, but it's very team-unfriendly because over the next over the next couple of weeks that separate the February 7th trade line versus the traditional kind of 21st deadline, those two weeks would be quite a huge difference. Like if you look at the Lakers, for example, if LeBron doesn't come back in the next few days, week, week and a half or so, they're they're always going to be pushing though. They're they're not going to turn it off. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I get what, I get what you're saying. I mean, maybe Minnesota or New Orleans well, like, is, is maybe wins. a better example. Minnesota wins. They beat the Lakers on the night that we're recording this, right? And that would have given that would have made for a game or two separation from them from the playoff picture. Right. And yet they now have to make a decision while they're sitting a game and a half or, or two games back of the eight seed. They have to make this decision, and and I I mostly agree with with Sam, and and I'm I'm in no position whatsoever to disagree with him. But if you're looking at some of these teams that are just absolutely desperate to get into the postseason, and you're having them force their decisions two weeks earlier than they would usually have to seasons prior, I feel like even despite the number of sellers, like some teams going to overpay, and that might set the market. Do you have a perfect time you would like the trade deadline to occur? I mean, in your ideal world, would it be like March 20th? I didn't have a problem with it where it was at the February 27th spot. So you just think a couple weeks would make a difference for teams knowing maybe we'd have more active trade deadlines if it was just a couple weeks later? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I, we'll see how this year this year plays out. Sam, do you think it'll make a big difference, the, the, the two moving it up two weeks compared to other years prior? You know, the, the one specific impact i think that is interesting is that 
it, you know, it no longer involves, you know, it now comes before All-Star Weekend. Right. Yeah. And again, and this is in the theme There's of what so we talked about. So many conversations can go on. <laughs> that's the thing. In the theme of what we talked about earlier, like the, the human component always gets overlooked. And there are just endless conversations at All-Star Weekend that happen between teams. And so, you know, I remember going to, uh, this was in, was New Orleans. I'm losing track of the years. What? Well, where was it last year? Where did they move it to was last it year? I think yeah, it was LA last, last year. year. Right. So this is this is a New Orleans memory. A couple of years ago, but um, CAA, the agency, had you know had a party, and they you know they'll have some media people there, and went to this thing, and it was just a who's who of front office executives. It was it felt like every team was represented. And everybody's sitting around, and you're grabbing your beer, and you're hanging out, and and it's a social gathering. But I'm looking around the room, going, "Holy smokes!" Like, you know, again, you can't, you know, I didn't have a mic on anybody, but like you're looking at this, <laughs> going, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing the rosters are getting talked about. And so that human component is real because Buzz would pick up. I mean, that was right. the same year where Demarcus got traded yep. from the Kings, and you know, and that happened in the middle of the darn, of the darn game. So. um that's the biggest thing for me. You know, I mean, I think these people adjust so they make more calls and flush things out in a different kind of way. But I do think it's it's a tweak. And I think it's a tweak that they kind of uh, if you could somehow quantify the quantity of conversation, like I, if I had to guess, like it, it probably takes a hit because of uh, the, the calendar change. That's that's really interesting. We're going to take another quick second here. And when we come back. We have a little bit I, – I, I think we need to flesh out some of like which teams are most likely to be buyers, like which teams would be most desperate to mm. overpay. Uh, so we'll get to that a little bit, and then at the very end, we'll have a little bit of fun. We'll just talk basketball. I want to look at the Western Conference starters and the Eastern Conference starters, and we'll just barbershop it and see which team we like more. So we'll, uh, we'll get to that here in a second. So, Sam, in, in, in the prior couple podcasts that we have had, we looked at some, some of the teams that are most desperate, I think, to either solidify their position in the playoffs or move up. And the teams that came up pretty often were obviously New Orleans because they, they, they need to appease Anthony Davis. The Sacramento Kings because the of Miritich how- news, by the way, should be mentioned. Yes. Um, he's now missing even more time. I mean, to me, they were a team I was about ready to to, to give up on anyway for their playoff mm-hmm. hopes. But that's a huge knock to them. It is. It is. Uh, the So they come up. Sacramento Kings come up. Minnesota comes up. Um, and then obviously, like if you're the Lakers and Adam, you mentioned this a second ago. Like you don't want to be the first front office to have LeBron James miss the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't want to be associated with that. So the West is interesting, but but Sam, I guess I'll just I, I'll I'll just ask the question like this: Like which teams, if you were to look at the standings and and the culture surrounding those organizations, which teams do you think are the most, I guess, willing to overpay, uh, given how how minuscule the seller's market might be? Well, I mean, you kind of took the, the most obvious answer, which is New Orleans. I mean, we know AD Watch is in full effect. And, you know, this summer, it feels like unless they pull off the Hail Mary at some point this season that, that you know, they might be forced to have him get relocated by the time the summer comes around. Um, 
That's an obvious one. Charlotte, and I wish I had some better intel on on this, but my general sense of the Charlotte situation would be if what is out there is to believed that, that Michael Jordan is 100% on board with wanting to bring Kemba Walker back in free agency, you know, then the idea would be you, you, you need to make that situation as positive as possible right now. And it's not as high profile as the Anthony Davis situation, but that's a small market like New Orleans where mm-hmm. it's hard to get talent and where Kemba has a ton of history now with that city, continues to profess his love for the city and the organization and has been very loyal and, you know, been through some stuff there. I think the idea of Charlotte, you know, getting some help to, to move up from, you know, the fact that they're, they're kind of teetering in playoff position right now and, and actually make some noise would be a priority for them. Um, I, I don't know, you know, it's funny cause we talked about how there's, you know, mostly buyers, but but the idea of, of kind of going too far and, and paying above market price, I don't know who those candidates are because you know, the Lakers conceivably would be somebody like that, but they've got bigger fish to fry in terms of like a, a longer runway and and bigger dreams. Again, with guys like AD, they can't they can't throw pieces around that are of significant value. The Kings are maybe worth kind of looking at and analyzing because of the unique salary cap situation they have. The only team in the league where they can take a player into space, they're about 11 million under the cap. You know, that's, that's a, something that they could use to their benefit. Hmm. Um, the Timberwolves are fascinating because I think it's very important. In fact, the more I talk it out, I think that could be my number one candidate. It's very important for them to get to the playoffs again. Um, fan support is a problem. The Ryan Saunders, you know, promotion played very well in their community. And I think that, you know, if they can add another piece to that, you know, Wiggins, Towns, Sarge, Covington group, they could, they would really want to do that, not only to get back into the playoffs, but, but honestly, I, I guarantee you that some people on the inside that are rooting for Ryan to get that job. But if Ryan's going to keep that job beyond this season, I think they have to get to the playoffs. So I think the, the T-Wolves are interesting. I really like Ryan Saunders. Have you have you watched the much of the Timberwolves since the changeover, Adam? Um, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. I I really I thought it was really telling the way that all of the players responded to his first win out there. Like that yeah. was that was the anti Tibbs moment. I I thought I, I that mm-hmm. that was the the first thing that crossed my mind there. Um, Adam, if you were the Nuggets, is there any point where you consider like? consolidating some of the talent here or do you think you just keep building outward and and see if you can just beat everybody with depth um i think it's definitely on the horizon for denver um they need to make some decisions on some of these guys and and pick who their guys are before they become uh, before they need to be paid so malik beasley wancho Hernan gomez i think those are the trey lyles you're probably keeping one of those three so I don't expect Denver to be too active, but when you talk about consolidating and making a big swing, I don't know if there's a player out there that's realistic for Denver to get where they cash in, you know, a Gary Harris and a Will Barton and a Malik and all. They have a lot of like B plus assets, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't, I don't see a situation where they try to cash in, you know, four or five to get one superstar or anything like that. So it's more around the 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 edges, I think, for Denver, if anything. And then, and then, Sam. I guess last point that I'll I'll I'll, I'll lob to you on to you on this is that, you know, you and I have talked a couple weeks where Golden State wasn't at the top of the standings 
and there were some questions around Golden State and whether or not that might drive some activity around the league. Well, if you look now, <laughs> they have <laughs> they have vaulted themselves up to the top of the Western Conference standings. They, they yeah. it looks like the fit's pretty natural out there. Do you think that has any impact on on some teams aiming super high? I think it does, and it's not just the the, the winning that is you know the the street they're on and the domination that has come with it. I think it's the optics and just the way they're doing it. I mean, I watched a lot of this game tonight. And, you know, DeMarcus looked really good. You know, he looked like a really good fit. And it's just, I think one thought that crossed my mind was we did all this micro analyzing of DeMarcus and is he going to be able to play at their pace and is he going to be able to defend things of that nature? And it's like, you know, listen, Kevon Looney is a fantastic big to have coming off your, you know, with your second unit. But to go from DeMarcus or to go from Kevon to DeMarcus and have a guy, another a fifth all-star on the floor who is a playmaker who you can throw it to in the post who, you know, who, Oh, by the way, when they double on Stafford clay, he'll knock down the jumper when he's, I mean, he had one mid range shot on the left side tonight. There was nobody within 12 feet. I mean, it, it was just ridiculous. So that had me thinking, Oh boy, this is like, it's been a fun regular season, but I do feel like the narrative potentially is going to quickly become, how nobody even has a chance at these Warriors. And, and I think, you know, with two weeks to go, it's, it's, a, it's a great question because, honestly, if they keep winning games and they keep winning like this, I, I do 100% think it could have a ripple effect on the trade deadline. And I think you could have a lot of teams just basically get scooped or uh, spooked, rather, out of buying. Yeah, that's that's the thing that's been in the back of my mind while they've been and and look, I mean, they've won they won a game against the Clippers where the Clippers didn't have Lou Williams. They won a game against the Lakers where they didn't have LeBron James. They did go out and beat the Washington Wizards without John Wall and and they have looked better without him. So that was the closest thing I think to a legitimate win. But but it's still you just look at those guys on the court at the same time and and I wouldn't blame an NBA team for saying <laughs> you know what. We'll see how things look next year. <laughs> well, not only that, but they're they're getting along again. Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of very rosy uh, kind of stories being sung by. I mean, just about harmony and reconciliation and all those things, and and that's a bad thing for the rest of the league. Yeah. All right, we're going to quickly have a little bit of fun here and wrap up the show uh, by looking at the team, the guys who were picked on each All Star team per conference. So in the East, you have Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, Giannis, Kawhi Leonard, and Joel Embiid. In the West, you have Steph Curry, James Harden, LeBron James, Durant, and Paul George. Obviously, Embiid is vastly, <laughs> is immensely bigger than everybody else on the court. <laughs> uh, but if if I had to, we'll just we'll just quickly just kind of go through which. And this isn't like the better. teams. This isn't no. the teams. They do the new schoolyard pick. But if it were, yeah, if it were. Uh, I'll start with you, Adam. Do you, who? Which team do you like better there? Well, the East team I think is significantly more fun because yeah. they just they are, they're more balanced. They have some really interesting and unique pieces. But you're talking about four of the best shooters in the league plus LeBron James. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Yeah. The, the the LeBron James spread pick and roll is a killer when, when he's throwing the ball to Lonzo Ball. When he's throwing it to James Harden, Steph Curry, Kev, you know, come on. Sam, I think it's the West. Sam, do you do you think you, you go East or West here? 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to agree with Adam. Uh, you know, I I try to fight my West Coast bias pretty hard. I know where I'm located. <laughs> I know that I got I got to really make sure I appreciate all those guys in the East. I, the thing that that strikes me is that so you know I I had a vote and have a vote every year. You know, the new media voting aspect of the All Star game. And so when I was doing the West front court, I'm sitting there looking at this, going, "Come on, man, are you kidding me? I'm picking between." Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, you know, Paul George, LeBron James. This is absurd. You know, and Nikola Jokic as well. So, I mean, the embarrassment of riches in the West is just something else. I mean, you even look at, I get, you know, Russell Westbrook's shooting has been awful this year. I get it. But, man, he's done a bunch of other great things, and he doesn't even have a prayer when it comes to, you know, getting near Steph Curry or James Harden. <laughs> so the, the West talent is outrageous, and, uh, and I, I'm going to go with the West lineup for sure. I'd feel better about the East if if you had some more size in the backcourt. You know, like yeah, if, if yeah, it's looking, a little small. If you're looking at Kyrie and Kemba, you're, in your backcourt, you're analyzing this way too ridiculously. <laughs> if, if you're getting to the backcourt length, I, I uh, think you're underrating how big a nerd I am. <laughs> I mean, you got to guard James Harden. He's doing a few things right now, so yeah, that's a fair fair point. Yeah, so I, I think if you have if your two backcourt guys are Irving and Walker, that's just it's just too small when you're going up against hard, like look at the length there. Like you, <laughs> <laughs> like Oh Harden, Anthony. Oh man. You see what I have to deal with every week, Sam? <laughs> I love it. I love it. You guys are hilarious. Well, this was a lot of fun, Sam. Thank you very much for, for carving out a little bit of time in in, in what must be the, the craziest time of your of your year, so uh, I greatly appreciate that, and I cannot. I'm telling you right now, it's on The Athletic. Uh, Sam has it as one of his top tweets. I think it's as his top tweet, minus an RT or two. Uh, but check out the article that he wrote for The Athletic detailing the trade deadline and, and some misnomers. And and when you read the lead, you can laugh at, at Sam basically subtweeting <laughs> me for that. So, so that was that inspired was fired this story, Anthony. It was all you. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was great to talk to you again, Sam. Uh, Adam, I'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Thanks, guys.